Amen. Revelation 20, verse 1. I'm going to read here. Here's what God's Word says. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. I love that. And shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Amen. Where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And so... I just want to remind us the purpose of this book. The purpose of the revelation is to show us Jesus, that we might see him, we might know him, we might see him in all of his fullness, all of his beauty, all of his splendor. In fact, revelation means unveiling or uncovering. And I don't know about you, but I've learned some new things, glorious things about Jesus and I'm so grateful as we've studied this book together. In fact, you remember from chapter 1, there is a blessing pronounced by the Lord for anyone that reads, listens, and puts into practice the things that are written in the book of Revelation. In fact, it's the only book that gives that threefold promise. And I don't know about you, but I have been so blessed reading, sharing, listening, and then trying to do the best I can by the power of the Holy Spirit what the Lord has shown me and shown us 
together. I want to remind us, though, that it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the uncovering, the unveiling. I believe, and I've shared this before, that God wants us to understand this book. Oh, maybe not understand every single detail or part, but to have an understanding of this book. Otherwise, he would not have given it to us. And so with that, what has God done? Over 550 references back to the Old Testament that we might be able to piece together what we're learning He's given us insight and understanding as we've worked our way through concerning all of the symbolic language that is in here. He hasn't left us on our own to try to figure stuff out. And I would also say, how good is the Lord to give us an outline for the entire book? You guys remember the outline, the divine outline Jesus gave us all the way back in chapter 1? I told you we'll go back to chapter 1 for a minute. In chapter 1, Jesus gave the outline in verse 19. And he told the Apostle John, write the things which you have seen, number one, and the things which are, number two, and the things which will take place after this, number three. And so the first thing John was to write down was the things which he had seen. Well, what did he see in chapter one? Remember, the Apostle John was on the island of Patmos, And all of a sudden, who shows up? Jesus. Again, in all of his beauty, all of his splendor, and John falls at his feet as if dead. And what does Jesus do? Reaches and touches him. Don't be afraid. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Then tells him to write down these things. Number one, the things you've seen. Number two, write down the things which are. That is chapter 2 and 3. What were the things that are? The Apostle John was to write down the things concerning the seven churches. The seven churches that existed in John's day were going to receive seven uh, report cards, if you will, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Actual, literal churches that existed. However, those letters, those report cards, apply to the entire church age. All churches. Every one of us. We need to hear what the Spirit has to say to those churches. Why? Because those are he tells us the successful churches in his eyes. What's a a successful church? Not in man's eyes, not what men say, not what people say, but what Jesus says. And we learn. So those were the things which are. And then the last thing he was to write down were the things that must take place after this. That goes from all the way from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 22. It is future, the things that will happen after this, after the church age. Well, what did we see in chapter 4 and chapter 5? We see the church in heaven. How did we get there? The rapture of the church. Jesus coming for his bride to bring us to the place that he's preparing for us. How do we know it's the church? By the songs that they sing. There's only one group of people that can sing the song of the redeemed, and that is those who have given their faith and given their their faith and their trust to Jesus Christ and Him alone, the Lamb of God. Amen. What else do we see? What when we're there? What are we going to see? Jesus goes to the Father and takes the scroll from His hand. I believe the title deed to planet Earth, right? Because He's the one that purchased the title deed to planet Earth with His shed blood. 
And then we see from that point on, chapter 6 all the way to 19, is what's known as the tribulation period. Seven years of unprecedented um, pain and suffering on planet Earth that will happen. And it began with the first seal opened, second seal opened, third seal opened. You guys remember this with me? Seven seals. The seventh seal gave way to the seven trumpets. Seventh trumpet gives way to the seven bowl judgments. Remember all that? And it's heavy. We went through all that. It's going to be a heavy time on planet Earth. There's going to be pain and suffering, but that's what's going to be necessary to bring the beauty of heaven to Earth, which we're going to look at this morning. It's going to take that to get rid of wickedness and wicked ones. There's going to be some pain and suffering, but we've learned all the way through that what? That God is merciful, that he does everything he can in order that his house will be filled in heaven. He sends angels flying through the sky, proclaiming the everlasting gospel, raising up people to minister, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ so that no one misses out on hearing the good news. That's the kind of God we have, by the way. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He does not delight in the death. He does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. He wants to rescue men and women. And so he does everything he can short of twisting our arms but he doesn't violate our choice. He doesn't violate our free will. And then we see at the end of the tribulation, we learned this last couple weeks, didn't we? Jesus comes back. Y'all remember this? He comes, and who's with him? What are we riding? Harleys? Did I hear Harleys? No, not Harley. Come on. White horses cruising with Jesus, following him. And he'll come Number one, to rescue those that have cried out for him, specifically the Jews. They recognize the Antichrist is not the Messiah, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, and they cry out for Jesus, and he will come and rescue those who call upon his name. And not only that, he removes all of the wickedness. In fact, what will happen at that time also is the Matthew 25, the judgment of the nations. The sheep and the goat get, goats get divided. The sheep go into the kingdom the millennial kingdom, the goats, off into uh, eternal punishment. And so as we look at this this morning, um, what, follows, what follows the second coming? The millennial reign of Jesus Christ. How long is a millennium? A thousand years. How do we know it's a thousand years? The Bible says so. <laughs> Not hard. In fact, it says it six times in seven verses. Did you see how many times he says a thousand years, a thousand years? Does he mean a thousand years? Not figurative, not allegory. He says 1,000 years. I think he does it on purpose. The Lord does it on purpose so that we don't make any mistakes here concerning the millennial kingdom. And then after the millennial kingdom is the great white throne judgment where those that have rejected the witness of God, the testimony of God in their lives, they've rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ will stand before God. They'll be resurrected, stand before God, be sentenced to the eternal lake of fire for all eternity. And that's at the last portion of the chapter. And then what happens after that, after the great white throne judgment, look at me real quick, chapter 21, verse 1. This is beautiful. John says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Why? For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So the eternal state, 
new heaven, new earth. I just want to like, let this kind of sink in just for a minute. Check this out, gang. If you're looking at your Bible, stop peeking, stop peeking. Don't look, don't look. I just want, for us that are children of God, how amazing this is going to be. When we are standing there with our Father and He creates something out of nothing. New heaven, new earth, boom. And we get to partake of that for all of eternity. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. And so... We're looking at the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. And by the way, the original readers of the Revelation, the original listeners, those that were the original recipients of the Revelation, guess what? They knew their Bibles. They knew the Old Testament. It wasn't like, oh, let's take a week talking about, let's take two weeks trying to figure all of this out. They knew the Scriptures. They understood the Scriptures And they knew that Messiah would come and set up his kingdom, ruling and reigning on earth. How do we know that? Psalm 2. I'm going to read it real quick. Psalm 2, if you're taking notes. It's a real short one. If I said Psalm 119, it'd be like a different story, wouldn't it? Psalm 2, if you're looking for it, by the way, I think it's a good practice that we look, find it in our Bibles. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how you get familiar with your Bible, is looking and checking it out. You know what I'm saying? Or your phone app. It just doesn't have the cool pages turning, does it? You can't hear. If you're looking for it, just open the middle of your Bible, you'll be super close. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, against the Messiah, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. And that's what's going to happen at the end of the tribulation. We're going to fight against the Lord. We're going to break his bond. We're going to crush him, man. That's deception. Didn't we learn that's deception, isn't it? You will not win in a fight against Jesus. We learned that last week. Simple lesson. And what's God's response to puny man picking a fight? He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Where's the holy hill of Zion at? What city? Washington, D.C.? Is that what we're talking about? Jerusalem. Thank you. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. So a little father-son conversation here. Look what it says. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nation's for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Didn't we learn about that last week? Revelation 19, Jesus will come and rule with a rod of iron. So what's the application for this psalm? Well, he tells us, Now therefore be wise, O kings, 
be instructed, you judges of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those... Does anyone here want to be blessed this morning? Did anyone come here saying, I don't want, to be, I don't want too much blessing in my life? <laughs> Everybody want to be blessed? Yes, this morning. Blessed are all those who what? Put their trust in him. You want to be blessed? Put your trust in in the Lord and Him alone. And so we're seeing the fulfillment of that psalm in the Scriptures. Um, Has Jesus set up His kingdom yet on earth? His physical kingdom on earth? He has not. But He will, though. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 25, 31, "When, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all His holy angels with Him Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. So Jesus will come back and he will set up his kingdom on this earth. Physical, literal return. Physical, literal setting up of the kingdom. Physical, literal thousand years. God, Listen, God has made promises to Israel in the scriptures. Come on, tell me where they're at. No way. Jeremiah 31, uh, Genesis 15. If you're taking notes, you can check it out on your own. Ezekiel 36. God is not done with the nation of Israel. Listen, please, this is so crucial. If you remove Israel from God's prophetic plan, your theology will be all jacked up. You'll be messed up. You'll be tweaked. And the problem is, like Paul said, you're ignorant. He told us, don't be ignorant of God's plan concerning the nation of Israel. And I would encourage you, if you're someone that has bought into that junk of replacement theology, you need to study Romans 9, 10, and 11 and give that some careful meditation. Because what it should produce in us is a heart for the Jewish people and a thankfulness for them and a gratefulness for them because they have been set apart for a time being allowing Gentiles now to be a part of God's kingdom. Amen. Thank you, Lord. In fact, our relationship with the true and the living God through his son, Jesus Christ, should provoke the Jews to jealousy. To say, wow, I want what that guy's got. That Christian, I want to know what that guy's tapped into, that gal's tapped into. I would say, is that happening in your life right now (laughs) with non-Jews? That our walk with the Lord is so blessed in such a way. I'm not talking about name it, claim it, blab it, grab it nonsense. I'm talking about there's peace in your home, in your marriage. There's true love flowing through you. That people are like, wow, what is that dude? What is that family tapped into? What do they got going on? There's something different about them. 
And it's not natural, it's supernaturally natural. Why? Because we're abiding in Jesus Christ. But the Apostle Paul said we should be provoking the Jews to jealousy. That's called jealousy evangelism. Our relationship with the Lord should be that sweet that people should be be wanting what you and I have. God's not through with the Jew. There are promises and purposes and plans attached to the nation of Israel. And it will take, and right now, the Jews are being regathered in unbelief. It's a miracle, 1948, when Israel became a nation again. That's a major super sign of God's prophetic plan coming to pass. The Jews being gathered, regathered in unbelief in order to be dealt with during the tribulation period. Part of the tribulation period is dealing specifically with the Jews to break them of their, of their stubborn pride. That will cause them to cry out for Jesus. And so, God has promises and plans attached to Israel. And you know what that means? God is faithful to keep his promises. That's one thing we learn. We're going to get, I promise we're going to get into the text this morning. This is, this is the last service till four, so we can go till like two, right? They'll still have the Costco samples for you there when you get there. And during the millennial reign, God is going to fulfill his promises that he made in the Old Testament and the New Testament that have not been completely fulfilled just yet. That tells us that we have a promise. Aren't you glad he's a promise keeper? We have a promise keeping God. And not only that, it teaches us something else about our God, which is so crucial to understand. He is a God of restoration. His people are going to be restored unto him. It says at the end of the tribulation, all of Israel will be saved. All that's left, two-thirds of them will be killed by the Antichrist and his armies. One-third will be left that will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Well, I didn't know this till this week. There are around 750 Old Testament references to the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Check that out. 750 Old Testament references written hundreds of years, predictions concerning this time that we're going to be studying about in just a moment. In fact, if you're coming Wednesday night, we're going through the book of Isaiah. And we are learning so much about the millennial reign of Jesus, the kingdom age. And so when Jesus came the first time, the Jews were expecting the kingdom, weren't they? They were, weren't they? But they had a little problem. It it was a messianic misconception. You see, the Old Testament teaches that the Messiah will not only be a conquering king, he'll also be a suffering servant. And for the Jewish mind, they had a hard time reconciling how can the Messiah be both a conquering king and a suffering servant. Well, we know, don't we, as we look back with our hindsight 
as now the scriptures are illuminated to us because we have the Holy Spirit, we understand the book now, we look back and realize, oh, there's two comings of the Messiah. But when they came the first time, guess what they did? We like the verses concerning a conquering king. Everybody loves a hero, right? A victor. We don't want any losers. We like those scriptures that talk about we're going to win, we're going we're to be set free. Those ones about a suffering servant. And so what did they do? They picked and chose, and what did they choose? The conquering king verses. To the exclusion of those, of those verses concerning the Messiah being a suffering servant. And here's the problem. We, we kind of not laugh, but we're like, oh man, what, what's the matter with them? We do the same thing. We pick the verses we like, and we do them. And the verses we don't like, we don't do them. You know what I'm saying? And then it's like Golden Corral spirituality. <laughs> right? We talked about this Wednesday night, didn't we? You pick and choose. I like the meat. I like the potatoes. Broccoli. Mm, honey sink. You got to eat your broccoli. Spinach. No. But we, listen, we need the whole counsel of God's word. We need all of it to be healthy Christians, to be healthy children of God. We need Genesis to Revelation, all of it, every jot, every tittle. It's from his heart to our hearts. And to know the word of God, but then you get to know the God of the word, who he is, what he's all about, his ways, his character, his nature. And so when Jesus came the first time, they wanted to be what? They wanted the conquering king to set them free from who? The Romans. All we've been is in bondage to everybody. We've been crushed and, 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 and hammered. And they wanted to be delivered from the power of Rome. But Jesus came to do what? Deliver us from the power of sin and death. He came to give his life a ransom for many. He came lowly on the back of a donkey, willing to suffer for you and for me. And to give his life. And he came to his own. And what happened? His own received him not. But to them who received him, he gave what? The right to become children of God. Born of his spirit. Glorious. And so listen, those, that have, those of us who have trusted in him, oh yeah, we're part of his kingdom. But it's an invisible kingdom right now. It's an invisible kingdom. But it's made visible as we trust and obey and follow our Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. One day his kingdom will be a reality and we're going to see it right here when we get to the text this morning in an hour. <laughs> Listen, at his second coming, Jesus will set up his physical kingdom on earth. What's it going to be like? Can I just give you a few, a few verses real quick? Okay. You guys okay still this morning? I'm seeing something like, don't be dozing off, man. Because when you get there, you want to know what's happening. You want to know what's going on. You know what I'm saying? Like you want to know what's happening. You know where to, you know where you fit in. So what's going to be like? Number one, Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of David, will come back to rule and reign over the whole earth. You guys catch that? If you're taking notes, um, Zechariah 14:9. Jesus will come back to rule and reign over the whole earth. 
every bit of it, in fulfillment of 1 Chronicles chapter 17. Do you guys remember, you all remember when David wanted to uh, build God a house? You guys remember that? David wanted to build God a temple, build him a house. And what did God say? No. You're a man of war. You got, you got blood on your hands. Correct? And then remember, what, what did David do? Did he get all bummed and poor memes? Is that what happened? What did he do? He did the next best thing he could do is I will make sure the person that will do that ministry, I'll make sure they're successful in what God has for them. What a great lesson, isn't it? I'll prefab the temple, get all the stuff gathered together so that whoever it is who builds that temple, he's got everything he needs to be successful in his calling. What a great ministry lesson. But what did God say? You're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. And God said, right, remember through Nathan the prophet, and it shall be, this is uh, 1 Chronicles 17, 11. I love it. The, the verse before the end. Furthermore, I tell you that the Lord will build you a house. And it shall be when your days are fulfilled, when you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up your seed after you, your offspring, who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son, and I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him who was before you, and I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom for how long? Forever, and his throne shall be established forever. You guys see that? So Jesus will take the throne of King David, the, throne, the, 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 the Messiah would come through David's line. So Jesus came in his humanity um, through the line of David. The messianic throne promised in 2 Samuel also, chapter 7, will be occupied by Jesus. His headquarters will be in Jerusalem during the millennial kingdom. We learn that in Isaiah chapter 2. If you're taking notes, you can check it out. It also tells us in Isaiah chapter 2, there will be no more war. Anybody happy about that? <laughs> no more war. Unending peace. How about this one? It also tells us in Isaiah 2. We will all gather together and Jesus is going to give us the Bible study. How, is that going to be killer or what? We don't have that idiot from California anymore. <laughs> Jesus giving that we're going to gather and he's going to teach us in his kingdom that will never be destroyed according to Daniel 2 44. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Listen, Isaiah eleven ten and Daniel 7 14. All nations shall seek him, serve him, and worship him. Is that happening right now? No. Verse uh, Isaiah 11.9, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Check this out. So there will not only be, when Jesus comes to this earth, there will not only be an extreme takeover, there's going to be an extreme makeover. 
What do you mean by that? The planet will be renewed and restored to pre-fall conditions. The curse, here's another way, the curse will be reversed. You ready? Where does it say that, buckaroo? Ezekiel 36, check it out. I'm going to read it. And Amos 9. You got a Bible you can read? Amos 9. Ezekiel 36. Uh, 33, thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the garden of Eden, And the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. That's awesome. People will live during this time, thousand years, people will live a very long time. You're taking notes, Isaiah 65, verse 20, Zechariah 14, 17 through 19. Sin and death will be present, but greatly suppressed at that time. We'll talk more about that later. Listen to this. this I love this one. The animal kingdom will also be renewed and restored to pre-fall conditions. That's in Isaiah 11. I got to read that. We got time? Yeah, we do. Isaiah 11. This whole past, oh man. This Should we just study the whole chapter? <laughs> no. Yeah, verse 1 and 2 talks about his first, the Lord's first coming, Jesus' first coming, verses 3 through 5, his second coming, and then now it talks about the millennial kingdom. Verse 6, check this out. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. Is that happening right now? Are, are wolves like chilling out with lambs laying around? The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Do you see any little children leading lions around like, like Siegfried and Roy? Like, the cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Check this out. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the wean child shall put his hand in the viper's den. Can you imagine? Where did Jimmy, where's Jimmy Don? He's out with the cobras, honey. Oh, he's fine, okay. Amazing. 
Is that happening now, by the way? It will happen. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. Why? For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's so beautiful. And so Jesus' kingdom um, will start with a thousand years, but it will go on forever and ever. Remember what um, Gabriel said to Mary, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. You guys catch that? Everlasting kingdom. We will be a part of that. And one more little snippet, Jeremiah 39, when King David gets resurrected, he's going to be the mayor in Jerusalem. That's pretty, I thought that was just kind of a nice little nugget. Do you see why we only got through three verses for service? Okay. So chapter 19, Jesus returns, second coming. Verse 1, chapter 20, we see one of the first things that happens. Next, John sees an angel, verse 1, coming down from heaven. And he's carrying two things. But notice, this, isn't, this is not a mighty angel. This is not an archangel. This is your common garden variety angel. He's got a chain. He's got a key. And he comes cruising. He's got a key to the bottomless pit. And we've seen this bottomless pit before, haven't we? We've seen it a couple times in the book of Revelation, right? It's connected with the Antichrist. We see also that it's a place of incarceration for fallen angels that will be ultimately let go during the tribulation. You guys remember in the, gospel, in the Gospels when Jesus came to Gadara and there was a demoniac there? You guys remember that? You totally demon-possessed, this guy? Legion, yeah. And he starts to talk to Jesus, and it's like, it's kind of hard to decipher like, who's talking. Like, they're talking, he's talking. But ultimately, he's crying out. There's still something left in him to cry out for Jesus. But the demons say, don't cast us into the pit. Don't cast us into the abuso. So it must be so gnarly that even the demons don't want to ever be in contact with this place. And so this angel comes. He's got the key. He's got a chain. What does he do with it? Look at verse 2. He laid hold of the dragon, common garden variety angel, grabs the devil by the scruff of the neck, I think. Amen. And look at John, like, uses all these different descriptions that serpent of old, the one who deceived Eve, right? Who is the devil. Devil means slanderer or accuser. Satan means the adversary or the enemy. He is the one who opposes God and opposes man, believers and unbelievers alike. In fact, Jesus said that the thief comes to do what? To steal, kill, and destroy He's a liar and a murderer from the beginning. That's all he wants to do is to, t- is to wipe people out. And this, 
this angel comes and puts the devil in chains for how long? What does it say? Isn't that fitting, by the way? The one who contributed to the chains of, of sin, of addiction, and evil in humanity is put in chains himself. And we look around us today, don't we see the fallout from what he does? War and pain and suffering. And yes, part of it is because we live in a fallen world. We're fallen people. But there's also a part of it that the devil is working behind the scenes, bringing pain and suffering into people's lives. In fact, we know it says in 1 John chapter 5 that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And it's interesting, when you study that word sway, it means to, to move rhythmically. To move rhythmically. And don't you feel like sometimes you're swimming against the stream? And it's just, man, going to get there. Guess what? Why is this happening to me? I feel like I'm swimming upstream. Because you're a child of God. You're no longer going with the flow. You're swimming against the stream. You're a child of God. You have all new values, new attitudes. you got a new life. You're a new creation in Christ with a new birth. And it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He's wanting us to go swim upstream. That's the way he's taking us. And it's yielding and surrendering to him. Okay, Lord, I can do it. And I endure as Moses did, as seeing him who is invisible. I get my eyes on Jesus. But listen, Jesus even said that Satan is the ruler of this world right now. He's the God of this age. The prince of the power of the air. Adam forfeited the title deed, the dominion of planet Earth, when he fell. Come on, how do you know that? Remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? Satan came, you guys remember this? Took Jesus up on a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the earth in a moment time and said, listen, this is all yours right now, just bow down. And worship me. Jesus didn't say, oh, no, you can't give me that. Remember what he said? Get behind me, Satan. It is written, you shall worship the Lord and him only shall you serve. But when Jesus went to the cross and gave his life, he not only purchased our souls, he purchased this planet. And now he's got the title deed, and now he's set up his kingdom. And by the way, I just want to remind us, God is sovereign over all. And anything that comes into our lives from the devil has to be passed through God's filter. You know what I'm saying? Has to pass through the filter of our Father. That gives me great comfort, by the way. And so... He gets cast into, look at verse 3, let's finish up here. After chaining the devil, the angel tosses him into the bottomless pit, into the abusos, into the bottomless pit, shuts the door, and puts a seal on him. The devil has no power to loose his chains. He has no power to perform a jailbreak. 
He cannot broker a deal to get out. There's no bargaining to avoid incarceration. He doesn't have a slick attorney. And notice what it says. Why? The devil is now unable to deceive humanity until his incarceration period is over. Can I just ask you guys a question? Is the devil in prison right now? No way, man. He prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. In fact, we learned earlier in Revelation chapter 12, back in Revelation chapter 12, how much deception does the devil do? In verse 9, it says, The great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. Wow! His deception is powerful, isn't it? Would you say his deception is pretty powerful? I mean, think about it. He influenced one-third of the angels to follow him in rebellion to God. And think about those angels around the throne, the glory of heaven, the glory and holiness of our God, and he deceived one-third of the angels to follow him. That's heavy. And we know for thousands of years he's been influencing men and women to rebel against God and brought them to a fall. What's our protection? What's my protection, man? Remember what Jesus did when he was tempted? He quoted scripture. Not just quoted scripture, he had it hidden in his heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. What is our protection? Our protection is, number one, the word of God. Are you with me? By the way, Jesus was quoting from Deuteronomy. In all three temptations, by the way. In fact, he quoted more from Deuteronomy than any other book in the Old Testament. Is that interesting to anybody here this morning? Like, when's the last time you read Deuteronomy? Hidden in his heart. The right word for that temptation when the devil came. Listen, the devil's been doing the same thing for years. All the way back to the beginning. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. It worked on Eve, it worked on Adam, but it didn't work on Jesus. And there was no one with him in the wilderness. He didn't sin, he was tempted in all points, yet without sin. And he sat down with his disciples at one point and said, Listen guys, I want to teach you about dealing with temptation. And here's how to beat temptation. Here's how to beat the devil. It's not, I'm going to bind you and shackle you. No, 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 no. Here's how you beat him. Because here's how I beat him. Not as almighty God, because as, as almighty God, he could have said, devil, out of here. Go take a hike, fly out. Just In his humanity. I want to teach you how to deal with temptation, to overcome the wiles and schemes of the devil. And here's how you do it. As you put the word of God in your heart. You trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
That's our protection, guys. There's, there's, is there a lot of lies out there right now? I mean, and like every kookaboo out there, preacher, pastor, whatever, minister, coming up with all kinds of funky stuff, claims. Sadly, I'm bringing this up because sadly, some in the body buy into that junk. Because we don't test all things with the word of God. What does the scripture say? What does my Bible say? Could you tell me where I can find that, sir? Because I haven't found that in my Bible yet. I haven't seen it. Listen, that is our protection, the word of God. You test all things, hold fast to that which is good. Are you with me still this morning? Are we done with verse 3? We're not. But after these things, after what things? All of the stuff predicted in the Old Testament and New Testament concerning the kingdom age, the millennial reign will come to pass. After that, he, who's he, the devil, must be released for a little while. What? No. Why is it? Thank you. Yeah, I'm wondering the same thing. Why is he getting released? Put him in the lake of fire. What's going on? Is anybody ever wondering that too? Oh, I'm good. Whatever, man. (laughs) Well, we just read in verses 7 through 10, we see that he will tempt and test mankind. A whole group, a great multitude of people will follow him in rebellion. What? At the end of the millennial kingdom. He gets sprung, and what does he do? Listen, jail time didn't change him. Incarceration didn't change his ways. You got a whole group of people that get deceived. Who are these people? Guess what? Take a big, deep L.A. fitness breath this morning. It's not you, and it's not me, brother or sister. We will be in our new, glorified, resurrected bodies. No amens for that. Amen, Lord. Thank you. I can't wait. This thing's falling apart. Amen. Thank you. Some of us are excited for the new bod. It's going to be an interesting mix. You've got believers in their new glorified bodies and this whole other group of people that... How did they get so many people? How, how, many, how did they get all those people there during the millennial kingdom? Those that survive the tribulation that are believers, they what? They go into the millennial kingdom and they start reproducing and each one of those people has a sin nature just like you and me. Each one of those people, guess what? They grow up in a perfect environment with perfect teaching. Isn't that great? Perfect theology. They got great neighborhoods. The best. It's going to be amazing. They've got it all. And yet, they end up what? Being deceived 
going into rebellion against God and end up getting burned. How did that happen? I mean, perfect teaching didn't help? Perfect neighborhood? With Jesus there? What's the issue? Listen, the heart of the issue is always the issue of the heart. That's the lesson that God's trying to teach us. Our problem is our hearts. We can't blame it on society or my upbringing, my parents, my Irish temper. It's my heart. And that's why God says, I want to give you a new heart and a new start. And here's your part. Simply trust me. But we have a problem, don't we? Because we're still in the flesh. Just like those back in the days of Noah, whose hearts were only on evil continually. We have to continually say, Lord, here's my heart afresh. God, here's my heart. My heart is so jacked up. It's wicked, deceitful above all else. The biggest liar in the whole world is living right here in my chest. God, help me. And what does he do? Does he help you? He does. And he begins to lead us and guide us and mold us and shape us, conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. But the heart of the issue is always the issue of the heart, gang. And it's a lesson that God wants to teach us, that we need a new heart given to us by him, that they need new hearts. But not only that, one more lesson. Choice means a lot to God. God created us with choice. What we decide matters, but something else, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. No amens. Is, God, is he in control? And God is using Satan for his purposes. It's important to see that. It's another lesson. Because some people have like this false conception that somehow God and Satan are equals and they're wrestling it out and now uh, Satan's got God in an arm bar and if he doesn't, if he doesn't roll over and, and get him in a, in a rear naked choke, he's going to go down. Listen, Satan is a created being. God is a creator. They are not co-equals. And that very one who's our creator, Emmanuel, chose what? God with us to be in the closest possible place to live in your heart and in my heart. That's a miracle. God Almighty and the person of the Holy Spirit coming and taking residence in you and in me that we might bring him glory. Amen. In Jesus' name, Lord, thank you so much for this amazing, Lord, uh, passage, your amazing word. You are an amazing.